You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. All right. Good morning, Real Life family. How are you? Glad to be with you this amazingly chilly morning. What the heck happened to summer? It just turned off. It's like, I'm out of here. Moscow's not that pretty after harvest. I'm out of here. It's cold out here. Anyway, glad you're here with us this morning, and I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. Before we get there, I really do want to encourage you to go to the Mark Gunger event. You will love it. You'll love it. And I want to give you three reasons why you should go. Number one, the content is great. Like, it's, it's good content. It's useful and it's actually helpful. Like his conversation is the right conversation around a lot of these really hard stick points in marriage. So I really encourage you for that. Um, Number two reason is it's only $35, which if you were gonna take your spouse out on a date, you would spend more money than that. Like it's not expensive. And number three is it's cheaper than a divorce. Can I get a witness? Um, (laughs) Like you need to... You need to invest in your relationship, right? Like you change the oil in your car before the engine seizes. We maintenance the rest of our life, maintenance your marriage. It's a good opportunity to do that. So you can get signed up online. And if you're not married, but you're thinking about being married one day, I would really encourage you to come and be a part of it because the principles that you're going to learn are going to be useful for you. Like I would have loved to know how to be married before I got married instead of having to learn from the school of hard knocks, right? Um, it's weird that she doesn't think like me. I was, I was sure that when I married a woman, she would think just like me. Um, surprise. <laughs> uh, it's shocking. But I would really encourage you to be invested in that. It's going to be really, really good. Um, we're going to jump into this Sermon on the Mount series. And before we get started, we have a really um, catastrophic issue to address. Um, The first two verses of this passage are not in your notes. So here's here's what happened. I was gone this week, and the excellence came down dramatically. (laughs) No, it was was just a misunderstanding about where we stopped last week. So what we're going to do is, it's going to be on the screen. The two verses are going to be on the screen, so we'll read them. And... um, I'll tell you where else they are. There's this really amazing book that I encourage you to read called The Bible. They're in there. So I'd love for you to check them out in there if you don't believe me. But uh, we're going to jump into this passage. Here we go. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, I want to I pull these couple of verses apart here because this is going to kind of set a stage for where we're headed today. Um, we have often interpreted this to be like about judgment day and eternal life. And that's not a wrong way to understand this passage. It, like, yes. So the broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few are they that find it. Yes. Yes, that's all true. But, what, but the problem is, as well, Westerners, we kind of see this life and eternal life as two separate lives. 
and so we have this life that we're living today and then we die and we pass through to eternal life. There's not a, a person who heard Jesus say this in, in any context that would have thought that way. For them, eternal life does extend past this life. Yes, yes it does, absolutely, but it's, it's now too. It's today, like eternal life is now and moving forward past death. And today we can experience life now, today. And the way that we experience life is really pretty narrow. And the problem is that a lot of us want to experience life, but we don't want to live our lives the way that brings about life. And so what he says is, just because you don't like the path that leads to life doesn't mean that you can negotiate that. Like you don't get to go, well, I'm going to walk on the road of destruction and then get mad at God when it doesn't lead to life. This is a big topic. Remember, if you remember our Romans series that we did last year or the year before, I can't remember, they all blur together. But we talked about one of Paul's major themes in the book of Romans is that it really doesn't matter what your moral code says, regardless of how you think the world ought to operate, acts that lead to life lead to life. And acts that lead to death lead to death. That will always be true. And we know this intrinsically to be true. Like it's not complicated. Think about this. You will never hear this story ever in the history of mankind or in the future of mankind. You will never hear this story. So I started using drugs and then everything went awesome. That story doesn't exist. Why? Because acts that lead to death always lead to death. It's just the way it is. Like you can't negotiate that. Or, and, and, and we struggle with that because we don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do. But what you have to understand is that God is not looking to control you. He wants to set you free. And what he says is, when you live on my, in my boundaries, here's how freedom exists. It's, it's, there's a lot of ways to be held captive by something. This is how freedom happens. Are you with me? This is what he's talking about. Here and now, today, narrow is the road that leads to life and not very many people find it because not very many people want to be disciplined enough to do it. Like we want to make a wrong choice and have it turn out right. And if you think about it, it's an easy way to get mixed up in because every wrong choice you make will have immediate positive consequences. But long-term negative consequences, that's what makes it a bad choice. And every right decision that you make will have immediate negative consequences. But long-term, it will have positive consequences. And that's, that's what makes it a good decision. Not the immediate, like for example, like this, if you want to lose weight, you have to stop eating ice cream. Well, it's a good choice to want to be healthy and feel better. Like that's, that's good. But saying no to ice cream is hard. <sighs> I'm just joking. I'm just messing with you. It's hard. It's hard to say no to ice cream, right? Or if you want to get in shape, like you've actually got to get up and exercise. You got to go do some shanti or go lift weights or something. Like you got to do something. And that hurts. Like immediate negative consequences. I'm in, I'm in pain, right? Long term, more energy, more creativity, more focus, more productivity. It's better. It's better long-term, but immediately the immediate consequences are negative. Every right decision works that way. And that's why the road that leads to life is narrow. And there aren't a lot of people that find it because there's not a lot of people who are willing to do it.
So that's what he's talking about on this broad road and narrow road piece. And, and, and now he's going to up, unpack this a little bit further. So let's keep reading. Watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their proper teaching, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good doctrine, but every bad tree bears bad theology. A good tree cannot bear bad teaching and a bad tree cannot bear good orthodoxy. Every tree that does not bear good, do you get my point here? Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, I want to stop here and talk about this because this is really significant. The way that the modern church has defined who's in and who's out is by the doctrinal statement that we sign off on. And the problem with that is that that's not what Jesus says. Now, I, I don't have a problem with truth. I don't have a problem with that. But we got to talk about this. So I wanna, I'm going to give you a couple of really big churchy words. And then we're going to show you an illustration of how this works and why it's important. And then we'll get back into the passage. So the first big churchy word, and you're going to sound really smart when you say this, is orthodoxy. Say orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means right thinking, okay? Orthodoxy is the system by which we have come to mentally ascend to who our awareness of who God is. And there's nothing wrong with orthodoxy. It's important, right? It's, it's significant. But I want to introduce you to the second word, and that's orthoproxy. Say orthoproxy. That's right practice. So there's orthodoxy, right thinking, and then there's orthoproxy, right practice, okay? Orthodoxy is important. It is. Let me show you an example of how this works. This, this is water. See, it says water on it. Water is wonderful. Like, it's cool and refreshing. Like, water is a foundational piece of life. Like, if you don't have water, you die, Right? You can't exist without water. It's significant. In fact, it's so cool and refreshing. Josh, come here. I'm going to show you guys this. It's water. It's water. How's it? Mmm, it's good stuff, right? It's delicious. Water, in its proper context, is awesome. But if I change the delivery system, <laughs> now it's, hey, hey, it's water. What's the problem? It's water. Why, why are you crying? Why are you whining? You guys don't care about water? It's this, this is life. Like you don't exist without water. Truth works the same way. Truth in its proper context is awesome. But if you change the delivery system, it becomes annoying. Are you with me? Now, let's deal with the obvious uh, result of that. Well, you got to have truth. You can't just throw truth to the curb, right? So let's deal with that. This looks like water. It's mostly water. But it's vinegar. It's white, it's white vinegar. I mean, looks like water, right? But it's not. It's vinegar. Anybody want to drink? <laughs> yeah. All the kids are like, yeah, I do. <laughs> right? Some of us are uh, remembering a bad dare in college where you were like, yeah, I drink it. 
Like vinegar is not water. No matter how much it looks like water, it's not water. So do we need water? Yes. We have to. Do we need truth? Yes. And false substitutes for truth, no matter how much they look like truth, they are not truth. That is absolutely correct. Now think about bad truth with a bad delivery system. That puts, puts a stank on your clothes is what that does. Truth matters, but equally critical is the delivery system of that truth. And what Jesus says is, no matter what people teach, you will know who they are by the way that they live. Now, he's going to further this argument. Let's keep reading. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Like, here's what he's saying. You're going to try to you're going to try to make all this about you. You're going to try to do all this stuff. But the only thing that matters is those who actually walk out the will of the Father. That's all that matters. And this has all kinds of implications for us because in the modern evangelical church, we want it to be okay to think one way and live another. So we, we follow, we claim, yes, we are, Jesus is Lord of our life, this God of grace and compassion and mercy and um, kindness and gentleness. And then when we go to a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress isn't perfect for us, we pitch a fit. Like that is, that is not okay. Or we go to the grocery store and the store clerk misrings something and we blow a gasket. How, how could you? We do the, right? The teeth sucky thing. It's the universal sign for disdain. <laughs> right? Listen, it is not okay for you to call yourself a Christian and to hang on to your anger problem. It's not okay. It's not okay for us to call ourselves a Christian and to live a life of fear or to call our brokenness truth because it isn't. And I've seen a whole lot of churches that will put people in leadership because they have the right orthodoxy. They say the right verses. They they believe the right doctrines. But their life is trash. And they wind up doing things like fighting like the devil for the things of God. And it doesn't have any place in the kingdom. Here's a question. Do you believe that God of the Bible is the God of the universe? Do you believe that? Yes, so does Satan. But his orthopraxy, his right practice, is not like ours. Does that make sense? Like, yes, what we believe matters, and I'm not doing away with that, but if it doesn't somehow translate into our actions, then it means nothing. It means nothing. Now, what we have a tendency to do with this passage, or a passage like this, 
is that we use it to kind of point the finger at everybody else, forgetting that what he's just got done talking about is judging. But we, we try to use it to point like you and so you and your wrongness. I don't think this is a passage to point out where everybody else is wrong as much as it is a passage of reflection. How am I doing with this? And how do I know that I'm living in a way consistent with the teachings of Jesus or where are the places in my life where I know that I'm not doing that? Now we know that, and we've talked about this a lot over the years, um, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, we talk about this, like the fruit of the Spirit means it's the evidence that the Spirit's working in your life, right? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These nine things are the, they're the proof that the Spirit is working in our life. But that passage is part of a larger kind of paragraph of Paul's conversation. And what he's doing is comparing and contrasting. How do we know what works of the flesh are? And how do we know what the works of the spirit are? How do we know that? Because that's a good question. As I look at myself in the mirror each morning, when I make decisions throughout the day, how do I know where those decisions are coming from? Okay, well, let's read Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. You don't get to walk with the spirit and do whatever you want. You don't get to do that. And there's this movement in the church that says grace and love equals total acceptance. That is just simply unbiblical. I love you. You are, you are enough and you are welcome here. That does not mean that I have to be okay with what you do. Are, are you with me on that? Now, that truth needs to be covered, walked out in love and grace. That doesn't mean I get to beat you up either, like verbally or physically. You beat me up anyway. So I like, I'm not, I could only, I'd take a toddler, but then I would be tired. And then the rest of you would just whoop me. But I don't get to do that. I don't get to do that. I don't get to impose my opinion on you outside of the context of love and grace. But it doesn't mean that I have, like we don't get to do whatever we want and call ourselves a Christian. There are standards in the Christian life. Like acts that lead to life always lead to life. No matter how you try to negotiate it or try to find the loophole or try to consider that your particular context is the one that God didn't think about. Oh, oh, God's like, oh my gosh, right, yeah. He says, oh, he says, oh my me, um, is what he says. That's what God says. He's like, I didn't even think about that situation. Like, you don't get to loophole your Christianity. Acts that lead to life lead to life. Acts that lead to death lead to death. <clears throat> They're in conflict. Go back. Go back. We got to finish that slide. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So this is important. What Paul's saying is you don't get to do whatever you want, but it's not just a system of rules either. It's bigger than that. So let's keep reading. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft. Yeah, those are the bigs, right? Like, yeah, here's equally big, hatred, discord. 
Anybody nitpicky? That's sowing discord. Anybody critical? And not critical to the person themselves, but critical about the person to other people. That's sowing discord and it's ungodly. It has no place in the kingdom of God. Jealousy. Ooh, now we're preaching. It's not fair. How come they get awesome and I don't? Fits of rage. Okay, okay, I see you. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. (sighs) Like he's really stepping on a lot of toes right now. Factions. Anybody in your little context trying to form alliances to your opinion on something because you want to have the weight of the majority to make you right. It's ungodly. There's no place for it in the kingdom. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies and the like. Now those, we love the bookends. It's that middle part that sticks us, right? Like, yes, of course, drunkenness and orgies. Of course, of course. But factions, envy, jealousy, dissension, those hit a little closer to home, especially in light of the fact that we as Americans love our opinions. Here's what he says. They don't have any place in it. Anyone that that lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Next slide. But the fruit of the Spirit... Love and joy, peace and forbearance, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This, This is what Paul is saying If you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to go where the Spirit takes you. And in order to do that, you've got to let go of those things that keep you from doing it. It's your practice that matters just as much as what you believe. Now, there's all kinds of implications for this in our world. But, but I want to go back to the passage in Matthew 7. What he says is, you don't get grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, right? Like, this is important. Why does he say that? And have you ever noticed, like, yes, a thorn bush or a thistle bush doesn't produce those kinds of things, yes. But what I think he's saying here is this. If you see fruit... You have to call it what it is. Because no matter what it looks like, there's a grapevine in there somewhere. And maybe you should love them enough to go find it. It, Here's why this matters. As Christians, we kind of have our own little subculture. We have Christian TV and Christian music and Christian radio and Christian books and Christian magazines and, and Christian movies, which are terrible. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry. Like some of you guys are like, I saw only, I can only imagine. And it was great. Okay. Okay. Noted. But as a rule, the Christian movie, the Christian movie world has not produced some high quality cinema. Let's just be honest. Right. 
Uh, I grew up with that stuff. We were, and, and so I grew up in a home, like I wasn't allowed to listen to secular, secular music. I got a really funny story sometime. I'll tell you, it doesn't make me look good, but not from the pulpit. Um, but anyway, it's one of those things where I, I just wasn't allowed to do it. And so when there, what I did then as a kid was I tried to find the loophole for that. So I found, I went looking for the, the Kanye Wests of, of my day, like the ones who claimed to be Christians so that I could say, I can listen to their music because they're a Christian. It didn't matter what they were doing. It didn't matter how they were living. I just wanted to be okay with the, they, they use the C word because what's important in this line of thinking is the label that's on it, not what it actually accomplishes. Or there was the other side when, when uh, Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith crossed over into the secular market, we, the church world did not know what to do with that. Like some people were like, woohoo, secular music is okay. And some people were like, they're heretics, string them up. I can't believe that they would leave their faith to produce secularity. It was this huge war in the Christian world and nobody stopped to step back far enough and go, before we decide whether or not it's good or bad, let's look at the fruit. What did it actually produce? Did it create opportunities for the gospel to go forward or did it get in the way? And by the way, no matter what label you put on yourself, the life that you live matters just as much. What this created for me in my home was, uh, as I was dating in high school, my parents were like, well, is she a Christian? Well, yeah, she goes to church. Listen to me, parents. I got a better question for you. When your daughter comes to you and says, I have this boy that I like, don't ask if he's a Christian. Ask, tell me how he looks like Jesus. Tell me how he looks like Jesus because that's what matters. How does he live out the teachings of Jesus? Because what you know to be true is that there are things that carry the label Christian that we would all look at and go, um, no, that is not. That, is, that has 0% Jesusness in it. It's another word we make up here in this Jesusness. But on the flip side of that, there are things that we experience outside of the normal Christian construct that hum with this authenticity of the teachings of the, the, the love and compassion and the wonder and the mystery of the world and wrestling with whether or not things are bigger. Like there's, there are things that are called Christian that aren't and there are things that are not called Christian that I would say absolutely line up with the teachings of Jesus. And our job is to find the grapes amongst the thistles, the figs among the thorns and call them out. Because the truth is, well, it's another sermon for another day. I, we gotta move on. I want to give you one more passage, Mark chapter 9, with this idea in mind. You're going to have to go back to the beginning. Go back one slide. There we go. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. If there was ever a church, churchy statement, 
<laughs> there was a, he's not one of us. Uh, you know, we're not the only Christians. The, the, so there was this old statement back in one of the great revivals in church history. They said, we're not the only Christians, we're Christians only. That, that statement morphed very quickly into this. We're not the only Christians, but we're the only ones we know for sure. Like everybody else, like we're 100% Christians, you're like 60%. We're, that's, right? This is, this is the classic church debate amongst church. Like we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, is for us. Truly, I tell you that anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And by the way, the word anyone there means anyone, no matter what label they wear across their chest. Like maybe rather than trying to fight against people's improper thinking, we should invite people to a way of engaging the world that is driven by a deeper truth. Here is my experience. When we live in accordance with the teachings of Jesus, we create an environment favorable for people to hear why you live that way. But it's the living that comes first. Right, you've heard the old John Maxwell saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right, like, that's a leadership principle, but it's actually true. It's, actually, it's a life principle. It's a life principle. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so if you're new with us, we have an open table at our church. Anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake, but we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. Okay, while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications that I think are particularly important around this message. Number one, you can tell a tree by its fruit, not by its location, appearance, or the sign posted next to it. Have you guys been to the Arboretum? Like right now at this time of year, the Arboretum is beautiful. It's gorgeous. All the trees are different colors. And all the trees have a little sign next to them to tell you what they are, right? Here's the deal. You can know a tree by its fruit. You don't need a sign. You don't need to wear a label or bark about what church you go to. You don't need to ascribe to a certain theological system. You need to live out the teachings of Jesus and I'll know who your Lord is. Next implication. And Jesus' instruction, orthopraxy, is just as important as orthodoxy. In Jesus' instruction, right practice is just as important as right thinking. And before you send me an email this week and go, well, you're trying to promote a works righteousness, it's not my words. These are the words of Jesus. Take it up with him. When Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit, I don't have to take that too far. You have to actually walk out what you say you believe. Now, I'm not saying perfection here, right? What we're talking about isn't perfection because none of us are. We all have moments where our flesh gets the best of us. What we're inviting ourselves to is what's trending. 
what's true, what's generally true of our life? Are we generally a compassionate, kind, gentle person who sometimes gets angry, or are we generally an angry person who sometimes actually smiles? Next implication. For Jesus, the conversation does not start with orthodoxy and then examine orthopraxy. So it doesn't start with right thinking and then examine right practice. It starts with right practice and then examines right thinking. It's not about trying to convince people that you're right and then telling them what to do about it. It's about living in such a way that people go, why? Why would you do that? And then it invites them to a way of understanding the world because of the love of Christ. It's not how we think first. Doesn't mean why we think isn't important. It is important. It's just not first. Last implication. None of this undoes the importance of orthodoxy, of right thinking, but it does challenge us to inspect the way we have weighted our perspective. And I would invite you to consider the possibility that becoming a person who has the capacity to love well is more important than trying to figure out is it free will or predestination? It's a big deal. Like this has profound implications for how we parent and for how we are at work and for how we live in the world. I love communion as a way to examine this idea that um, we're not trying, when we come to communion each week, we're not trying to, to re-examine the truth of the cross. We're not trying to examine atonement or forgiveness, what we're trying to examine is what does it take for us to change the world? How do we have to live in a way to change the world? And what Jesus models for us is this is how. This is how we do it. Now, atonement and forgiveness of sin and all that stuff, that all matters. That's important. It's important. It is. But what we're looking at is the, the vehicle, the conduit through which all that was made accessible to us is because the God of the universe chose to lay his life down and invites us to do the same thing. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do remembrance of me. I got vinegar on the plate that had that on it. If there was ever an opportunity to validate what I was teaching earlier. Oh. Thank you, Lord, for affirming that. <laughs> in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing call to a lifestyle, to a way of not just thinking about the world, but actually living in it. God, give us the faith to walk as Jesus walked.
Help us to show the world what it means to truly be in Christ. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 